listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lees. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Well, 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 Uh-oh. what have we here? Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what have Hello. we here? You just try and make this as creepy as no, no, we don't the do, you opening. Yeah. It's creepy enough without us being the actual creeps. So. I just really need to not have any like male energy in my <laughs> space right now. Nice. Uh, welcome. Welcome to, to another week of Best another, Served Cold. Another a true day. crime podcast where we drink wine and we talk about crime. And if anyone is interested, this week we are drinking a vino from Argentina. Yeah. Found Argentinian wine and Portuguese wine is one of our faves. But it's quite funny because people always like, whenever you have people over and they bring you a gift, we have people bring us bottles of red wine because they know we love to drink red wine. And it's funny because they're always like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know if this one like, I hope, I hope this one's nice." And it's like we literally don't know anything about wine. Like, yeah, we know that we like all facets of red wine, and, and we'll drink it. all we'll facets drink of red wine. We'll drink anything that's red. Put it in front of me, and yep. it's gone. So, if you want to ship us uh, bottles of red wine from whatever country you're listening. to, to this episode from, uh, we are more than happy to receive. That would be the best thing. We're gonna do. They need to invent like a club where you like sample wines from. You know how you do those book clubs where it's like you send one person a book and you get seven books in return. Do that, but with bottles of wine. Oh, like a pyramid scheme of wine. Mm. Nice. The only type of pyramid scheme I want to be involved in. Great. So, who are you? Who am I? Yeah. Who am I? I. <laughs> I, I am one of the greatest podcast hosts to ever grace this planet. Not really, but I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Laura, and many people don't know this, but I am actually the voice of Bane from Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I remember seeing you in the yeah, credits. Yeah, it was an uncredited that. role. Yeah, <laughs> I let Tom Hardy. Take, yeah, he took the fall for that role. one. But many people don't know. <laughs> What the fuck? It was actually me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I am... And who the fuck are you? I am Tama J, novice criminal profiler, expert scrambled egg maker. Yeah. Yeah, I'll stand by that. Wow. You do make an excellent scrambled egg. Yeah, and you were great in The Dark Knight Rises. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm still waiting for my Oscar. Yeah, nice. And my check from Tom Hardy. Did you also play uh, his twin double in Legend? I did. He plays the I craze? did. Uh, I so I was actually, I did all his stunts. Um, I was actually his body double because I'm just that oh, ripped. Damn. And they just CGI'd his face on top of my body. Yeah. Yeah. You never tell technology these days, right? Best served cold, making our way up the the, <laughs> the ladder of Hollywood. One fake roll at a time. Yeah. <laughs> How's your week been, Tama? Uh, it's been good. We had a uh, long weekend here in Sydney, so it's, we took uh, an extra day off to extend that. And we had a bunch of friends over here and there. We had a, a housewarming party for another friend, and it's just been a bit of a detox Weekend, but the opposite of a detox because we've drunk a lot. 
Yeah, not a, not a drinking detox, <laughs> a detox of anything that doesn't involve drinking. Mm, that's very true. Well, not even a lot. Just mm. we've had just like small amounts, but like four nights in a row, which yeah. we don't normally do. Well, I don't. We didn't drink last night. No, so three days not in a row. We just had like yeah. a couple of drinks here and there, which you know isn't at all that bad. We make up for it in one night's worth of. Why do I feel like we're podcasting. alcoholics now trying to justify? Yeah, addictions? Like, <laughs> and it's really the problem, not that man. many. Uh, Look, you're the problem. <clears throat> I'm the dude. Mm, mm. Uh, anyway, that was our brief intro segment. Um, You're just not going to ask me how my week oh, was? Oh, yeah. How was your week? So fucking rude. What What the hell? My week, look, it's not been the best week for old Laura. Uh, she got made redundant. Oh, yeah. uh, so I'm currently unemployed. So our Ko-Fi link is in the show notes. Because <laughs> we're now a, a one-person income household. Yeah. For hopefully not too long. But, uh, Fingers crossed. You know, any donations happens. to my unemployment fund are appreciated. Yeah, that would be much appreciated, especially in a high-rent area such as but Sydney. But I am hoping to use the time to get our blog up and running and the merch, which I've been saying I will do every weekend for the past four weeks, I may actually get time to do it because I don't have anything else to do. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, so, what are we? should we tell the great people of the internet what we are drinking? Sure, yeah. Uh, I have no idea what it is, but... So, we are drinking Piedra Negra, a Malbec Reserve from 2018. Uh, JamesSuckling.com gave it 93 points, if that means anything to anyone, because it doesn't mean anything to me. literally nothing to but me. But the label is in a different language, which always makes me feel fancy. Yep. And, oh, it's from Aldi. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. It's pretty good for an Aldi wine. I just went from feeling very fancy to feeling very now not I, fancy. I think I know how we got it. Your sister must have left it here. Yeah, my sister always brings the goods. The goods from Aldi, which surprisingly have fantastic hey, don't wine. knock Aldi wine. They've got yeah. alcoholic kombucha. It's all good. Had, um, at some point, they had cheap Patron. They did. Like they bring really that out crazy. every Christmas. They do the coffee yeah. Patron for cheap. Good on you. Almost Christmas time. I can't wait. Good on you, Cobber. Do you have any further housekeeping notes? No, I think it's it's a straightforward episode. I will this just one? quickly say, because I realized the other day I always leave this to the end of the episode and not everyone listens to the end of the episode. So we are on all social media platforms at the BSC podcast. We'd really appreciate if you followed us along. We share memes that I find pretty funny mm-hmm. and occasionally photos of my cats. Oh, also, I had two two listeners message us this week specifically asking for photos of our cats. So that was like proud cat mother moment because there's lo- nothing I love more than sharing photos of my cats with strangers. Yeah. So the BSC podcast, send me a message on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and I will send you photos of the cats and you'll probably regret asking. Yeah, you will definitely regret a lot. We have a long, long, long <laughs> collection. My, my camera roll is just photos of 
the cats. Yeah, I think it. you had to like clear up your phone data the other day to actually make room for all the for photos, more photos and videos. Of cats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. It's like memes and cats. That's that's all that's on my phone. Yeah. I don't take selfies, I just take photos with the cats. You take selfies with the cats. With the cats, yeah. That's the extent of it. That's the extent of my selfies. So it's your turn to go first this week and you're covering a very topical one. I'm yeah. excited to get into this so, more because we watched the documentary on Saturday. Yeah, so, so this has kind of been, kind of gone gangbusters since it kind of happened. So we're talking about I'll be talking about Chris Watson and the subsequent murders of uh, Shanann, um, Cece, um, and Bella. Bella. That was it. Um, so the 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 whole story is just a crazy one and i think for good reason it's kind of just blown up in terms of how perplexing it is that this thing even really happened in the first place and i think uh, it was a largely contributed to the fact that both the interrogation footage and the body cam footage of when the police initially arrived to shanann watts's house uh, was released by the press uh, and by the police department of course but that just sort of circled around there's a really popular youtube uh, channel that i've talked about before that talks about criminal psychology and the psychology in terms of how people react in terms of interrogation and chris watts was a three-part series on that channel was one i think it was the first mm-hmm. three videos they ever posted was around the same time this all kind of happened yeah so this is this isn't just like a netflix got a hold of something and it blew up. It's like it's been slowly burning since it happened. Because it's um, one of those ones where you just, you just, can't, like, you can't understand it. You can't get into the head of and how and why. And there's so many different answers from yeah. everyone involved as to what they think could happen. And there's unanswered questions everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's also a really interesting case of almost like victim blaming because the media originally, when he said that. She strangled the children. Yeah. The media kind of went on this like rampage against her. Her and her family yeah. and everything. Yeah. And, and I go into all that. Um, but also, they also just labeled her as like this vicious, domineering wife who like drove Chris to do the things he did. And it's kind of sick to yeah, see. Yeah, because that happens. You yeah. drive someone to murder. Like, oh, he, she was so domineering and made him feel... Uh, in, unmasculine and emasculated him rather and you know that drove him to kill her and it's like cool are you what the fuck is this kind Mm -hmm. of explanation are you a fucking fbi agent criminally profiling a man has killed his wife because she emasculates him it's really interesting because we're both covering cases where it's kind of one person was quote driven to murder someone else Mm. but yours has a very clear like yeah, I don't buy it. And mine has a very clear, like, oh, yep, no, I could see how that would drive you to murder. Not that it makes it okay. I would no. just like to classify. But with my story in particular, uh, yeah. I can fully understand It's motive. more so you can, you there's a there's an answer, a clear answer as to yeah. why it happened. He's not just a reasonable, a not a reasonable deduction. Yeah. As in like, oh, that makes sense. It's like, Oh, that fits the narrative, or that fits the evidence. Um, but without right, further let's, ado, let's get into it. So we're going to jump in. We're going. Uh, I'll, I'll be talking a bit about Shanann's uh, 
backstory, um, a little bit about her before she met Chris. So she used to live in New Jersey. That was her hometown. She listed on Facebook uh, before she moved to North Carolina, where she met Chris through Facebook. He sent her a, a Facebook in, a friends request, and she was quoted as saying, "One thing led to another." And eight eight years later, they had two kids, lived in Colorado, and he's the best thing that ever happened to me. So Shanann had a lot of health issues. She had um, lupus, and she had also previously been married before meeting Chris and went through a divorce. In November 3rd, 2012, Shanann and Chris married in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then a year later in 2013, they both moved to Colorado. In December of that year... They had their first child, Bella. Now, this was the couple's first child named, um, full name, Bella Marie Watts. In She was born in Colorado. Then in January 2015, Chris started working for the Anadarko, Anadarko Petroleum um, Works as a field coordinator, which comes into play much yeah. later in the story. It's very foreboding. Then of that same year... July 17, 2015, their second daughter, Celeste, was born. Now, they nicknamed Celeste Cece, and they she was known as, like, the summer baby of the of the family. And at the time, Shanann was working at a children's hospital, but she soon left um, when Cece was born. And it's kind of thought that maybe she left to be a stay-at-home mom or, you know, have a home office job that she could look after her kids. But soon after, she started working for an MLM marketing company called Lavelle, which I did a bit of research. Not a lot can be found about Lavelle. No one has really heard of it, but that's the kind of theme of pyramid schemes. And yes, Lavelle is a huge fucking pyramid scheme. So one of those, like, you sell a product to someone and then they sell those products and then you get a profit off of their sales kind of thing. Mm. But... Regardless, she made a very good career out of this and used her Facebook page, which she frequently made live videos on to show off new products and things that others were able to purchase in throughout her daily life. Yeah, I was going to say, because that's the other fascinating thing about this case, because like a huge part of the multi-level marketing thing is having this like online presence. And you know how you get those messages from like girls in high school where you're like, hey, babe, yeah. like, would you like to be a girl boss? Like that sort of stuff. Yeah. But because she had that sort of online presence, like her Facebook profile is still active and public today. Yeah, everything so more or less you can see basically for basically everything on her Facebook page, which is just bizarre because we just don't yeah, get a, that with victims. Exactly. It's a weird much. like sort of separation between someone who's passed away and their living legacy is this Facebook page yeah, where they documented so many things. Bizarre. Um, but anyway, she got so successful in the company, she was eventually awarded a company car, which was a brand spanking new Lexus. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I think and she actually requested a Lexus as well, which is just, you know. Uh, in June 2015... The Watts actually filed for bankruptcy at this point. They had a combined income of $90,000 in 2014, which I think when you transfer over to our currency, it's not a lot. It's... 90000 US yeah. is heaps. It's like... For a family of two kids uh, and a combined, expensive house in Colorado yeah. combined. And uh, so, so they had credit card debt, student loans, medical bills, etc., 
uh, especially medical bills in America, are just insane. Yeah, that's very true. So the couple filed for bankruptcy in June 2015. Their statement for for doing as such was their $3,000 mortgage and $600 car repayments took up most of their 4900 sorry monthly expenses. Additionally, their homeowners association, association sued them for unpaid fees. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> In May 5th, 2018, so we're jumping forward a few years later, Shanann posted the now infamous Facebook Live video, which was about 31 minutes and, sorry, yeah, 31 minutes and 13 seconds long. Uh, It was a Facebook Live video where Shanann talks about her family life. She was stated as saying, I love waking up now on Saturdays and being able to enjoy my family. She was talking about the exciting upcoming trip in summer they were taking And you can see videos of Chris playing with his daughters like a regular father. And it's unsure. uh, I did a bit of research and there was conflicting reports. I I am going off of the actual, I think it's 2,000 page uh, documentation. Discovery file. Discovery file, yeah. Um, And a, a bit of other resources. But it says either around May to June in 2018, Shanann surprises Chris with the news that they're expecting. Um, and now the, officially, this is reported in May, but then some s- sources say June, so it's kind of unclear to say as which. I mean, one that's it is. only a month difference. Really. Yeah. So yeah, it would have been maybe late May, early June. In a video, you can actually see uh, the Shanann's wearing a T-shirt saying "Oops, we did it again," and surprises Chris with the news of their pregnancy, to which he reacts to saying, "That's awesome." Um, now. I'll kind of stop intermittently between all these different kind of things. So I'd like to add a little... This is going to be a bit of a different episode. Yeah. Because I'm going through a timeline. I'm going to be stopping halfway through. But a lot of people have said that because his reaction to the to the, pre- the pregnancy is weird. Like he's not very excited for it. And he's not very happy to hear the news or whatever. But... A thing worth noting is he's extremely introverted. He doesn't really talk to his neighbors that much. He's a pretty submissive partner, not in a that that's a bad thing, but he just doesn't want to ever spark conflict. Yeah. Um, now, him reacting that way could just be him. You know, there's a possibility it could be he didn't want the child, but um, I think people are kind of stretching too far. Well, it's the same thing as once you know someone's a crazy killer as well. Exactly. You associate that. But I think it's fair to say that it's just the way his behavior is. It's just, that's just who he was. So, Shanann on June the 17th, 2018, posted a Father's Day message to Chris on Facebook, basically saying we're incredibly blessed to have you and you do so much for us every day. Uh, you're the reason I was brave enough to agree to number three from laundry to kids showers. You're incredible. Happy Father's Day. June 27th, Shanann and the two daughters visit their family in North Carolina. Now, this was a six-week vacation to visit family. Mm-hmm. But it's widely thought that because at this time, neighbors were reporting hearing, have heard reported hearing arguments um, between Shanann and 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 what and Chris Watts that it's thought that this was a escape to get away from Chris for a while and sort Why? of give them a bit of space because the very next day after neighbors had reported hearing the arguments was when she left on her vacation. Hmm. When you think about it, six weeks vacation away from your that's father a is long, yeah, that's a long, long time. time. 
So then on uh, June, later on in June 2018, uh, Chris starts talking to Nicole Kessinger. Now, it's not known when he starts actually officially talking to her because um, she was one of his co-workers at, at Adarko Petroleum. She was in the environmental department and uh, would often see the operators, including Chris, on the way to the fridge in the, uh, the break room. So, it's not known when they started, but at some point, Chris came up to her office and struck up a conversation one day, and they had their first meeting outside of work in later on that month. Shanann, at this t- at this point, notices a, a huge change in Chris's behavior, of saying that he's not involved in reaching out to her as much, and you would think he would be much more involved in his pregnant wife's affairs. Mm, of course. So, she confronts Chris. Um, to which he states there's nothing wrong, basically blows her off, doesn't really want to talk to her. July 2018, Chris starts a physical relationship with Kessinger. So according to the Denver Post, Chris sees Kessinger for about four or five times a week and they start having a physical relationship together in early July. He tells her that he's almost divorced, he's going through a divorce, and later that month, while Shanann and the girls are out of town in North Carolina, he tells Kessinger the divorce is final. Insider reports that uh, that the Kessinger that Kessinger goes to Chris's home for the first time on July the fourth, and they have their first phone call on record on July seventh at twelve oh nine a.m. for nearly two minutes. Later on that day, on July seventh, so after midnight throughout. Yeah, day goes on later on that actual night. That's a bit confusing because it's midnight. July 7th just started. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. So later on in the actual day, July 7th, they it's pinged on um, Chris's phone that he's gone to multiple different restaurants. So it's, his phone pings off different routers. Yeah. Then the next day, July 8th at 5 a.m., Chris writes back to Shanann saying, I'm sorry, boo. I fell asleep as soon as I got home. The heat killed me yesterday. I love you so much. Shanann confronts Chris again, asking if he's okay. He replies that he's fine. He's just stressed out of work and he's experiencing a lot of pressure. She replies back saying she loves him and misses Chris and that she's upset that her husband doesn't seem like she feels the same way. After uh, some communication between Chris and Kessinger, they go on a date to Shelby American Collection Car Museum on July 14th. Throughout the day, Chris receives several missed calls from Shanann, and she continues to call continuously afterwards until finally he answers and they have a one-minute uh, discussion, which we don't know the the context, context. of. July 14th, Shanann uh, also communicates through her best friend that one of her friends, rather, that Chris isn't as physical he used to be. So he used to be very hands-on, used to be very um, touchy-touchy, you know, lovey-dove, and he seems to be growing more and more distant distant um, mm. as they go on. The same day, Chris told Shanann that he didn't want to be with her anymore and that he doesn't want to have the baby. Oof. Shanann suggests that they go to marriage council counseling because she wants to keep the relationship going and obviously wants to have the baby. It's their first, um, their, their, you know, their new baby. And he immediately turns it down. 
July 18th, Chris and Kessinger share a bunch of nude and semi-nude photos with each other via text. And Chris uses a app, which is called Secret Calculator, which is... Uh, oh, yeah, I've heard about yeah, this Yeah, it's basically an, like a little vault you can't really get into. It's disguised as a calculator, uh, and people use it to hide different documents and, and images. And he places several of the images inside that app. On July 24th, Nicole Googles... Um, and this is found in her history after they search her history, of course. Um, She was Googling, man I'm having an affair with says he will leave his wife, indicating that she obviously knew that they were still married. Shanann still asks Chris what's going on and while also giving her some of his feelings, but it's the same sort of story, he won't reciprocate. July 25th, Chris, his Google history, uh, his... Internet history shows he was Googling when to say I love you, when to say I love you for the first time in a new relationship, when do you feel, what do you feel when someone tells you what they love you, and how does it feel when someone says I love you? Strange things to Google. For a married man. With children. With children. How does it feel when someone, like, what, what? So, this, I kind of placed as either it's one of two things right either he has a weird emotional displacement in his relationship where he doesn't feel necessarily love for shenan that maybe it's a different kind of relationship to him and he doesn't really know what it is like to feel love which Hmm. you know in that context that's one thing but the other side of it is He's a psychopath. He doesn't know. He doesn't. He can't properly feel empathy or. So he's trying emotions. to figure out how to emulate it. Because you'd think, even you know, if you can't figure out how to say "I love you" to a partner, you know, know what, what it feels like. But maybe that's what I think he's maybe trying to figure mm. out how she would react to it and what's the best way to to you know. It, there's many different facets to it. It's very interesting. Uh, but anyway. Chris and Nicole spend the night at Grand Sand Dunes National Park on July 28th while the, all the family's away uh, with multiple photos taken of the occasion. This is where those photos of them at the obvious, at the location on the documentary can be seen. Sorry, I just have to say, if either of us ever went missing or were murdered yeah. and the police looked at our search history... We would be fucked because it's just like serial killer after serial yeah. killer after serial killer. Like, yeah. how long does it take to manually strangle someone? Like, <laughs> all things that when you put it in the context of us running a true crime podcast, it makes sense. Yeah. But uh, how did Zodiac Killer escape police? Yeah, how did dead Ted Bundy escape jail? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then on July 30th, he gives her a love note before joining the family on their vacation. Now, the next day, July 31st, Chris flies to North Carolina to join his family. And despite it being a family vacation, text that Shanann forwards to a friend shows signs that there was obvious trouble between the two. Um, further messages also show that there was m- growing tension between her and Chris's parents. So I think if you remember from the documentary... Um, yeah, I think they had, they'd fed her like a pistachio ice cream or something like that. And she's allergic to all kinds of tree nuts or different forms of nuts. Basically, there's this heated argument and um, he basically tells Chris that her 
his parents aren't welcome at the house anymore to see the kids. So uh, a month later, August 4th, 2018, Kessing just shops uh, for wedding dresses online. So just weeks after they'd started talking, Kessinger's cell phone data shows she was looking at wedding dresses online for about two hours. Oh, honey, oh, sweetie. She also Googled Chris Watts looking for his Facebook page as well as looking for Shanann's Facebook page. Yeah. I mean, it sounds pretty damning, but if I was having an affair with someone married, I would want to know what she looked like and want to stalk her. Of course. That's a very female it, it, I'm not saying it's damning do. and like she had anything to do with the it. The wedding dress thing is a little weird. But she's definitely not a very good lady. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, she's not. She's a polarizing figure because she didn't have anything to do with it. She Probably condemned, a better way to put it. She's a polarizing figure. She condemned Chris's actions, but she also condemned him for lying about their marriage. When one quick Google search shows that they're still fucking married. Yeah. Like, looking at any of her thousands of Facebook videos. It's not that hard. You can't... Not... For a, little bit, for a sleuth, she's mm. not very... Uh, not very... Look, not looking that up. Uh, August 7th, Shanann tells her friend that Chris is terrified of this new baby, saying that he's not... He's just happy with having Bella and Cece, not a third. She also says that... He's been growingly distant and hasn't touched her all week and rarely speaks to her. August 8th, Shanann goes in for a 15th week ultrasound appointment. She also cancels the gender reveal party they had planned for the baby because of the growing tensions between them Mm. two. Uh, After a friend reaches out to her as to asking why she had cancelled the party, Shanann simply responds saying that her and Chris are just not compatible anymore. So she lists off that he's refusing to hug her, he has little interest in her at all, and telling her that he's not interested in her anymore. Um, Later on, Kessinger, the same day, Googles, marrying your mistress. (laughs) Uh, Shanann finds out that she's having a boy and names the child Nico after her grandfather. She also purchases a couples counselling book of Amazon and uh, asks Chris if he would be willing to read it, and he says he will. August 9th, 2018, Shanann leaves on uh, business to Arizona. So after confiding to friends about her troubles with Chris, she texts a friend that she and Chris had their best talk yet, quote, uh, before she leaves for a trip. She even drafts him a handwritten letter, basically expressing her desire to keep working the relationship and Mm. how much she loves him. Later on, on the same day, August 9th, Chris sends Shanann a very weird photo. So, feel free to look this up if you're at home. Uh, It's a photo of one of their daughters. It's not too sure, not clear which one it is. And she has a sheet wrapped around her entire body and face, almost sarcophagus-like, with her feet exposed. Much like how the victims of the Heaven's Gate cult looked like. Right. With their feet out of the bottom. And the weirdest thing is the feet don't even really look human. They look like a doll. It's just such a bizarre photo. And it's sent with no context. It's just sent. Yeah. And like some people are like, oh, it's a warning that he's going to kill the kids. And I, I don't think so. I think it's just fucking weird. 
and yeah, coincidental I mean, at some point. Yeah, that's a bit strange. It's very strange. Uh, and what's even weirder is she takes the photo and uploads it on Facebook saying, I'm not too sure what to make of this. Yeah, it's a very weird situation. Um, almost didn't include it because it's just, it doesn't have it's, any real, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Um, August 10th, Chris asks one of his neighbors if their daughter would be able to watch his kids while he goes out for a, quote, baseball game when he's actually going out with Kessinger. So this is all while Shanann's away on the business trip. Uh, he's saying that he's, he's going to the baseball game with co-workers, but in fact, he goes to a bar with Kessinger. On August 11th, Kessinger spends about 45 minutes searching on Google uh, topics that include how to prepare for anal sex and the anal sex guide. She then progresses to Pornhub, where she looks for videos of interracial porn and threesomes with double penetration. What's uh, also noted uh, is by the people who research this, the supposedly this was by no means the only time she ever sought out pornographic videos via the internet. So she was a frequent. Well, I mean, no shame video. in that. No we shame all at all. Watch porn. And it's almost not worth mentioning, but it's just. It's also just. It's you know, for the sake of inclusion. Yeah. It's like it's things that if you were just in like a normal relationship or even a normal you know cheating relationship you it would be but it's the fact that he murdered his wife that makes it all sound yeah. a lot more sinister. But it's than, also interesting just getting gauging where her head's at at these points. You know what I mean? Well, you know, know what they say? It's wedding dresses are a gateway drug to anal sex. <laughs> are they? Is that what? <laughs> who know. says that? I don't know. People. <laughs> People say that. Yeah, I believe Shakespeare said that. Uh, Haven't you read that line in Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, yeah. Thy uh, wedding dress is thou gaitest to, <laughs> to anal thy anus. Poitus. <laughs> Romeo, Romeo. Wherefore art thou anus? <laughs> oh, oh man, dear. yep. It's that. It's that point in the episode where we start fucking losing it. Uh, August 13th, 2018, 1.48 a.m. Shanann returns from her business trip. So their flight had been delayed. Um, Nicole Atkinson, Shanann's best friend, was giving her a ride home. Um, Shanann at this point is obviously sick with lupus. Um, she's medicated for she's several pregnant. things. She's pregnant. And not feeling the best. And it's just kind of a hard time for, for Shanann. So Nicole drops her off. Um, to the 2800 block of Saratoga Trial uh, after they return back from their business trip. And obviously at this point, you know, uh, Nicole Atkinson goes home, you know, sleeps on it and kind of wants to check up on Shanann the next day. So, August 13th, the day. 5.30am, Chris pulls his truck in up to the garage. Now, this was weird because apparently... This was not an ordinary thing. Shanann didn't like Chris pulling his work truck up to the driveway because it would leak oil, um, obviously because he works with oil, yeah, and cool. it would damage the driveway, so he would park it on the street. So him pulling his truck up to the driveway was a bit out of the ordinary. So he pulls it up, and uh, as you've probably seen, if you've seen any of the security footage or the um, body cam footage, the neighbor's security footage sees Chris reversing to the garage. Chris is also seen loading 
several things into the truck, making about three consecutive trips. At 8.30 a.m., Chris calls the schools where Bella and Cece attends and tells them the kids will no longer be attending the school. Not they're moving I... schools, they're taking a break, they're no longer attending the schools. Like, I just... <clears throat> I just want to know what this dude's... See, this is the thing that gets me. Like, homeboy, what was your plan after this? So initially... Did you think you were just going to call the school and they were like, oh, yeah, cool. And yeah. no one was going to ever question where your children... Like, well, here's, here's what the was thing. the plan? Initially, this at this point, his first confession, uh, the, like the, the legal confession, he says that... At this point... They're still alive. They're dead. No, they're dead. Oh, they're dead. Later on in the oh, prison, because, yeah. it says yep, yep, they yep, were yep, alive yep. and he drove them out while they were still alive to yep. the oil rig. Um, the oil barrels, uh, whatever they're called. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the thing. They're still alive at like, this point. That just... Well, there's a lot of people who don't think that's true. Right. If you go off Facebook conspiracy groups, there's a lot of people who don't believe. Sure. Um... um Whatever, but yeah, but... it's just like what what was your plan? Like yeah. what was your next move after you called your children's school and just said, "Yeah, they won't be coming back again ever." Mm. Like uh, what? So then um later on uh, when you've you've probably seen also the Denver ABC uh interview footage with Chris outside the house when he's talking about pleading for his family's safety, uh he according to that, he says that he left for morning work early that morning around 5.15, 5.30, uh, admitting that he and Shanann had an emotional uh, conversation. So August 13th, same day, 1.40 p.m., uh, Atkinson grows increasingly concerned with uh, Shanann's health and safety and contacts the local police at some point. So later that day, Atkinson became worried when she didn't hear from Shanann. Uh, she's quoted as saying, I caught her and texted her several times. And uh, she leaves to go visit Shanann's house with the with her son. The house has a security trigger on the front door, which gets set off whenever anyone tries to open the door. So when she tries to open the door, uh, it gets an alert gets sent to Chris's phone, alerting someone that is there. Uh, Atkinson then texts Chris saying that she's at their house and she's worried about Shanann. According to Chris, um, he was saying to her that quote she said she was going to a friend's house with the kids and that's the very last thing i heard and that was it it was very vague atkinson looks into the garage and sees that the lexus is parked inside the family's only car besides chris's work truck so obviously they haven't gone to a play date they have no yeah. means of getting there she also notices the door is locked from the inside so there's no sign of anyone leaving through the front door so Atkinson tries to open the door again, alerting Chris, who then calls her, saying she needs to leave the property, as he's already told her she's left for a play day. Atkinson tells him that she's calling the police, to which he replies, no, do not get them involved. After calling Shanann's doctor, she realizes that she's missed an appointment, and at this point, Atkinson calls the police. Good friend. Yeah, gr this, Good by the way, friend. just a side note. Um, Atkinson, Nicole Atkinson, and the neighbors, fucking heroes. You know what? Heroes. What I've said before on this podcast, follow your gut first and apologize later. Like, if mm -hmm. it turns out that you were being paranoid and your yep. friend really just did happen to miss your doctor's appointment, like, fucking, the husband will get over it. 
Like just and she knows her friend. She she's saying that she said that her uh, that Shanann is OCD and wouldn't leave the house frantically or wouldn't you yeah. Know, and she's sick as well and pregnant. She wouldn't just walk somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the police arrive and they conduct a welfare check. Now it's different to a different kind of check where they can legally they can't enter. Go in, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're only allowed to go in if they can visibly see. Yeah. So he, that, that's the welfare check. They're checking if they can visibly see her and they obviously can't. And he's unable to find, uh, you know, uh, any sign of her. Um, so at this point he can't legally enter without Chris's approval. So he calls up Chris and asks for the garage security code. So he can enter from there. And Chris says the passcode doesn't work and that he should just wait for his arrival. Chris arrives and, you know, cue the body cam footage of him arriving. Many have speculated that it's a weird, a weird moment. Yeah. You, you've been told your wife can't be contacted. She hasn't gone to any of her appointments. She hasn't left the house. Um, She could be inside, you know, she's pregnant. Yeah. And he's walking from the car to the officer. And it's, just, it's a very weird moment. Um. Yeah, look, if I ever go missing and I see some news footage of you walking oh, anywhere, yeah. you'll never hear the end Catch of me it. like Usain Bolt just you, breaking. You best be sprinting everywhere, yeah. boy. I'll be breaking the fucking 100-meter sprint just trying to find you. Um, so later on, uh, according to Atkinson, Shanann is a bit OCD. She wouldn't ever leave the house without her things and she wouldn't leave the house messy. And they find Shanann's phone, keys and purse which is very out of the character of her if she's yeah. not home. Also, the bed sheets from the two girls' bedrooms were missing, as well as the master bedroom. The sheets were missing. I and noticed that in the Netflix in, thing, exactly. which is something they don't really Go mention. The master bedroom They never sheets. bring it up, but I actually noticed that because I was like, there's no sheets on the bed. Yeah, and he has an excuse for the girls' sheets saying they never leave the house without their blankies. Yeah, right. Which... I don't know if that's been corroborated. I don't really see any photos of them with their blankies anywhere. But um, later on, uh, next day, August 14th, Chris pleads for his family return via the local news. Uh, as the Colorado Bureau of Investigation Issues an Endangered Missing Alert, Chris talks to Denver's ABC affiliates and pleads for their return. So to quote him exactly, he says, Shanann, Bella, Celeste, if you're out there, just come back. Like, if somebody has her, just bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody again. This house is not complete without anybody here. Please bring them back. Now, this so was one of the most, like, damning pieces of, like, yeah, he fucking did it things. Because you look at his face and the way he's acting... It's, even if you like go off the argument of oh we don't know how we would react and it's like that's a fair point for sure, but in context with everything that's kind of happened and the evidence yeah. stacked against him, you would look at that and go yeah he's a horrible actor like he's he's very bad at at, at acting like he's worried. You know. Now fun thing, Shanann's mum asked Chris not to do the interview as they almost always paint the husbands as the prime suspect. Afterwards, she was quoted in an interview saying, thank fucking God he did it because it incriminated him so much more than anything else could have. You know, you look at it with context and you go, yep, that's it. You did it, yeah. 
He's like smirking at some point. He's not. He's not crying, which is like you know you can argue that you wouldn't. Some people wouldn't cry, but there's just no emotion there. Yeah, it's just very emotionless. It's almost like he's exhausted just doing it. Um, August thirteenth. So we're going back to the day before. It's reported that Chris is trying to. Sorry, um, August fourteenth. Later on, uh, it's reported that Chris is trying to delete. Um, any text messages on his phone. So anything to do with Kessinger um, between August 13th and 14th, he's just deleting everything he has on her. So this is like between the times, I think, that the police arrive and between the interview and whatever and the interrogation, he's just deleting everything he has on her. And also, Kessinger and Chris hold a 51-minute call where she states, I had no idea that your wife and child were missing. Mm. And... Uh, it's not known what the context of the entire call was, but that's pretty much what we have. Uh, also on August 14th, funny enough, um, Kessinger was Googling results for Shenan Watts. She also Googles, can cops trace deleted text messages? And she spends a considerable amount of time trying to figure out how to get rid of text messages. I guarantee he's tried to cover his tracks in that phone conversation. He's spun it like, you need to delete these messages because it's going to look bad for me. I didn't do it, but it's going to make it look like I did. That's what I thought. That was my immediate thing as well. Uh, August 15th, Chris fails the polygraph test and we go from there. So the FBI joins the search for the missing mother and the daughters. During an interrogation, Chris denies anything to do with having an affair. Chris explains that it's possible that Shanann may have been having an affair and that they were falling out of love with one another. Chris uh, is informed by the FBI that he is a the, the prime suspect and he, they ask him if he's willing to do a polygraph test, which he agrees to. And we all know how that ended up. I'll get into that a bit later. But um, a between August fifteenth and sixteenth, um, a coworker of Chris's found emails between Chris and Nicole, and he turned them in as evidence on uh, the day he found them, as well as the GPS um, that Chris used in his truck for work. Also, weird coincidence on this day, Kessinger also comes in to speak to the police, giving them her statement, and one of her quotes was I legitimately think his cheese was sliding off his cracker long before he met me what an odd thing to say yeah I thought that as well um, as well so while they're interrogating Chris he's he's failed the polygraph test at this point and they're basically reaming him trying to figure out what he's done they use the GPS that they recovered from one of his co-workers and they fly a drone around the area he was last in to try and find any evidence. And this is where they find the blanket that was used to wrap Shanann up as well as freshly dug dirt. Mm. So during this interrogation, I thought it was interesting to mention um, one of the the agents, the one who conducted the polygraph test, I believe her name was Tammy. She... She gives the indication of, you know, we know you're lying. We know you have something to do with this. Did Shanann hurt them? Mm. She provides a false narrative out for him to try and, like, slip him up. Maybe he's got strong feelings. He's got to be like, no, no, she would have nothing to do with it. And, in fact, 
he kind of like... Latches onto that. A little bit. He doesn't initially. It wasn't until he asks, can I speak to my dad? Who was uh, flew across the country to come um, see him. So the the agents leave the in, the interrogation room and Chris Watts' father comes in and he conf- Chris confesses to his father that he killed Shanann because she had murdered both the daughters. And it's thought that because one of the investigators led the whole like narrative of did Shanann hurt them that he's latching onto it. And- yeah. But um, he confesses to his dad, and then later on when the officials come back in, he confesses to them as well, stating that after a heated discussion about their relationship, he saw on the baby monitors that she was suffocating both the girls. He then enters a blackout rage and strangles Shanann. He takes their bodies to the truck, buries Shanann, and dumps the girls' bodies in the oil tanks uh, where they were found. Now, this is one of the oil tanks that was connected to, you know, his workplace. Obviously, he knows the area. The I think probably the most disturbing thing for me, these tanks have an eight-inch hole insert. And just count out eight inches on your fingers right now. Stretch your fingers out. Try I to find eight inches. <clears throat> you take a, a six-inch subway roll and add two more inches to it. I love that you knew that I'd know how long a six-inch subway is. It's not very big. No. It's not a very big hole at all, and these aren't very big girls, but still, it takes a considerable amount of force to shove them through these holes into the containers. And this was also correlated with when they found the bodies, there there was a considerable amount of bruising on their bodies in the autopsy. They actually also found hair around the holes of the tanks. Mm showing that there was a considerable amount of force. The most interesting Google search I found that Kessinger makes was on the same day after she gives a statement, she goes home and starts Googling Amber Fry, the mistress of Scott Peterson, who, if you know who he is, murdered his wife and unborn child to be with his mistress. Her searches include... Frey's book deal, her net worth, and did people hate Amber Fry? Oh my god! Okay, I get, I get the the hate one. Yeah, hate one. I'd be like, oh yeah, for sure. You'd be like, I don't want to have anything to fucking do with this shit. Net worth and book deal, you You slimy, shady girl, piece of shit. Yeah, I don't like that. (laughs) Don't like that. See, this is what I mean. This is what is so polarizing with her. Like, there's so many articles that came out that she was interviewed on and she was willing to be interviewed on, where she's like, I just want to live a normal life, quiet life, away from Make some publicity. money off this tragedy. She's next to Shanann and Chris's names and the, and the kids' names. She's one of the most well-known names in the case. How can you be quiet? Yeah. But how can you, if you're doing interviews, how what doesn't correlate? Yeah, because I'm not one to like demonize the woman like the no. quote mistress, because it's like you know what you you do you relationships like, are tricky. You know, they are. They're weird. But googling, yeah, that's fucked up. That's fucked up. The net worth and book deal part is definitely fucked up. Yeah. Uh, so the same day that um, they find the bodies, Chris is charged with the murders, 
um, well, he's arrested for the murders, rather, and appears in front of the World County Court for a bond hearing of which he is denied. Then on August 21st, in 2018, Chris is officially charged with the first-degree murder. A week after he pleaded for their safe return, Chris is charged with three counts of first-degree murder plus two additional first-degree charges of victims being 12 or younger. Additionally, he faces another court count sorry, for the unlawful termination of a pregnancy plus three counts of tampering with a body. Total of nine charges. September the 1st, a funeral was held for Shanann and her two daughters, Belle and Celeste. They're remembered, remembered at the funeral at the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Pineshurst, North Carolina. During the 90-minute ceremony, which started with the singing of Amazing Grace, Chris is never mentioned. The priest reads a statement from Shanann's father, Frank, quote is, as saying, You are nothing but pure love, always caring for everyone. You will be always be daddy's little girl. That's so sad. November 6, Chris pleads guilty to all nine counts. Chris appears in court pleading guilty to all nine criminal counts after Shanann's family requests that the death penalty not be sought if he pleads guilty. November 19, Chris is sentenced to life imprisonment. Judge Marcelo Kopkow calls the murder spree, quote, perhaps the most inhumane and vicious crime I have handled out of the thousands of cases I have ever seen. Issuing five life sentences without the possibility of parole, including 48 years of unlawful termination of Shanann's pregnancy and 36 years for disposing the bodies of his family. Also on this day, Shanann's parents file for wrongful death against Chris. And I'll get into the rough figures of that because it's a pretty penny. December 3rd. Chris is transferred to a Wisconsin correctional facility due to concerns with uh, his health. They think he's a a suicide risk at this point. So um, he's moved to a high uh, correctional facility um, where he is I think he's monitored 23 hours a day with one hour of, you know, going outside, outside doing whatever. Yeah. It's fucking ne- next level. Uh, February 18th, 2019. Chris goes into detail, into a, a bit more of a detailed confession into the killing of his daughter, daughters and Shanann. So it's a five hour long interview from prison. Chris recounts all the details of the final moments of Shanann and his two daughters and confesses to killing them and disposing of their bodies. He quoted as uh, saying, this was like the epitome of being angry, the epitome of showing rage, the epitome of losing your mind. He even admitted that his eldest daughter, Bella, asked if she was going, if he was going to do the same thing he did to his oh, sister. God. And the four-year-old even tried to fight back. So Bella was suffocated after witnessing Cece <sighs> being suffocated. Cece didn't fight back. But she was did. so little. Younger. She was uh She was like two. Three. Three years old. According to his confession, Chris wakes Shanann up uh early in the morning when he's about to be ready to go to work and he wants to talk about their marriage and future. And despite Shanann carrying their unborn son, who she had already named Nico Lee, he tells her about his affair and that their marriage won't last. Shanann replies that Chris won't see the kids ever again, which then he 
goes on to strangle her. Bella, who was four, comes in and asks, what's wrong with mum? And Chris wraps Shanann up in a blanket and carries her to his truck. He puts the two kids in the back seat and drives to his work site. He then smothers Celeste in the back seat and puts her body in an oil tank before doing the same with Bella in another tank. Chris also buries his wife's body in the ground nearby and later, as he later confessed. <clears throat> November 18th, 2009, Chris is ordered to pay Shanann's parents $6 million. So almost a year after Shanann's parents uh, filed this civil suit, Weld County Judge Todd Taylor rules that Chris owes Shanann's parents $6 million. Now that's $3 million for each death and $3 million for the emotional pain they caused. The amount will grow with 8% interest. Uh, now, they're unlikely to ever get that money, obviously, but this just means that anything that uh, connected to his, the murders that makes a profit won't go to him. Yeah, He'll right. never earn a cent from any books or yeah, Netflix good. shows or anything. I don't know if you <clears throat> can anymore, though. Can you? I think they changed the laws after yeah, I'm not too sure how David- it works. Berkowitz or someone like that because they made a pretty penny off selling their story. And- yeah, I think it's like it might go to somewhere and, and if he ever gets out, he can like claim it. I'm not too sure how yeah. it works. Um, but yeah, I mean, now 2020, uh, there's been a few letters between um, him and a few phone calls between a, a woman named um, Sherilyn Cadle who, who wrote her first book about... Um, Chris Watts. Right. So she interviewed him and wrote several letters and spoke on the phone with him quite a bit. And um, apparently he is profusively remorseful, regretful. um, And she describes that he's sort of living with it every day, every hour of his life. He, he, he constantly thinks about it. Good. Uh, And he, He's apparently a born-again Christian as well. Yeah. Yeah. And he claimed in a um, in a letter, I think he said something. Yeah. So in June 2019, he called himself a servant of God, uh, writing a letter to his mum saying, I'm still a dad. I'm still a son. No matter what, now I can add servant of God to that mix. So, yeah. I mean, look, you do you. I don't judge anyone's religious beliefs, but there's something that really grind my gears when you have these disgusting human beings who probably want to feel like they're, you know, forgiven or atoned for their sins or whatever. Like, no, you're not. Actually, you took the lives of three human beings. Like, you don't get to have that um, feeling of atonement. One of the most interesting things that Cato learned from getting information from Chris was that Chris several times tried to cause Shanann to miscarry their son. So oh, okay. he was using uh, a mixture of, of, of drugs in her food and, and drinks, I think, to try and get her to miscarry. And supposedly, and this is unclaimed if it's true, was supposedly trying to kill her for weeks. Jesus. And it was premeditated that he wanted to kill her. Now, the letters, uh, so the article I read that from, they were about three, four days old. Mm. It's yet to be like confirmed, confirmed to the point where I would I would assume it to be legit. Like I would rather sit on it for a bit and wait to see someone actually like see um, cable 
confirm it, but according to letters, he was saying that it was premeditated that he wanted to kill her. And because uh, he was trying to cause the miscarry, it was reportedly because Kessinger told him that she wanted his first son to be hers. Now, this is said mm. without the knowledge of of um, of of his wife being pregnant. Right. So, you know, take yeah. what you will from that. Um, and reportedly, he tried to kill the kids before killing Shanann. So, is he, <sighs> so, in the letter, it's... And, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but he tried to smother them before he had the talk with Shanann and they kind of woke up and were like, what's going on? And then he went to confront yeah. Shanann and, and, and suffocate her. And Jesus. then took the kids afterwards. So it's a bit conflicting, you know. There's, yeah. there's different like points where you're like, is it this, is it that, is it that? But the most interesting thing I found was that he was trying to cause her to miscarry. That's very interesting. I read something else online that was quite sad that said the girls had to be buried in these like special plastic wrapped coffins so they'll never be able to to like decompose because they had so much oil in them that can't be let into the ground that was the other thing um the autopsy reported that shenan's blood alcohol level was two times over the legal limit but that was because her body had decomposed to a point where you know, her, her, yeah. the alcohol level in her, in her in her body was through the roof. Um, and there's a huge thing on Reddit where they're like, she was drunk and she probably confronted Chris and said this, and then like she probably died a different way. And you're like, that's not. She's fucking pregnant. Yeah. And a good mother, and yeah. has no history of of drunk, uh, you know, allegations against her. You know, yeah, people like that are fucked up. It's just, it, yeah. They always want to kind of find, they want to be the ones who go, Well, they like oh, to victim blame. Yeah, or, like, or just find a different altern- alternative. Yeah. It's, it's just fucking, just let it be, man. Yeah. It's it's so him. He did. Oof. There is something about that story. I don't know what it is. It just is so awful. It really gets I you. I really hate it. Really, really. I, I, it got me watching the documentary and seeing anything regarding the daughters yeah the two girls that really very heartbreaking got me yeah very heartbreaking um it's a very sad yeah yeah it's so interesting because i mean every single story we cover is incredibly sad but every now and then there's one that gets you that's just there's something about it that i don't know it just is particularly this one is a real hard hitter i think it's you know because what it is you know what it is it's when you hear about cases like these with young children, it's usually like, you know, things from the 70s or 80s where they have like newspaper clippings. This is like documented footage of their everyday lives all yeah, over the place. That's you very see true. them constantly. Yeah. So you're constantly reminded that these are real human beings that existed. Yeah. They're not just words on a page, you know. Um, very true. Very, very true. And it makes our, it feel a lot realer. Yeah. Uh, my last sign off will be uh, in our. Friday show, I will go into talking about the interrogation and things about that. Oh, and also just from my behalf, please accept my humble apologies for there being no show last Friday. I'm going to be real. I was just really depressed 
and didn't feel like recording an episode because <laughs> I lost my job. So yeah. there you go. There will be one this Friday. Uh, yeah, I was just not in a podcast frame of mind and I know most people listen to podcasts as a fun little escape so I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah. hi guys. Okay, everybody, we're going to talk about murder. Yeah, so okay. apologies. And that's also why there wasn't a mini soda Monday because, you know, I just need some time to just be in my head. Yeah. Be a little depressed. Now we've come out of our depression cocoon. We have emerged as a beautiful anxiety <laughs> butterfly. <laughs> we've shed off that old depression cocoon and now we're just straight up anxiety. We're beautiful butterflies asking if Filled we're annoying people too much. <laughs> okay, but do you really like me? Yeah, but do you really like me? That'll be me like... We'll be getting married. Yeah, you'll be like, do and I'll you be like, like me do though? you really, like, why do you like me? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah, you'll be drunk on the champers. Just, like, look, you, you like can me? just leave. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> I don't think he likes me. Blink twice if you want to, if you want out. <laughs> <laughs> there he <it> is. <laughs> I just stare at you, like, <laughs> blowing your face. <laughs> nice. Anyway, so today I'm going to be covering another controversial topic, and this one's controversial. To me, it doesn't seem particularly controversial, but to the good people of Facebook, (laughs) again, they really just want to brand both these people as kind of like pure evil, Right. where I can... Again, it doesn't justify murder, but I can fully understand the reasoning behind it. So Yeah, there's more to it. Today I'm going to be talking about Gypsy Rose Blanchard and the murder of her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard, which I don't Ooh. know if you've heard about this one. I have not, there actually. There have been several movies and documentaries and TV series, most recently The Act that came out last year starring Joey King. Oh, okay. Interesting. And Patricia Arquette as Dee Dee. Right. Wow. So there's two sort of main players in this one, which is Dee Dee and Gypsy, and then the side player, which is Nicholas Godejon. And I'm going to run through the the background and the relationship between Dee Dee and her mother. I'm not really going to get into the background of Nicholas because it's not really that important yeah. to... Oh, the kitten is freaking out about something. What is she doing? She heard Gotujong. She's like, mm, Gotujong? Spicy. <laughs> Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> My favorite. Uh, so I'm going to look briefly into the life of Claudine or Dee Dee Blanchard prior to Gypsy's birth. So it seems that her life was fairly non-eventful. Dee Dee was born in 1967 in Louisiana and she had five siblings, so she was from a large family. Her family members have been quoted as saying that she was a stubborn child and would sometimes turn to petty theft as a sort of payback retaliation if her parents didn't let her get her way. Interesting. So she'd be like, fuck you, mum, I'm going to steal this juice box. (laughs) Because that's... Yeah. What you steal in the yeah. 70s when you're That's a child. The 70s rebel. Yeah. So, uh, from what I can see, there's also these unsupported theories put forward by Dee Dee's family, who do not like her, by the way, <laughs> that she starved their mother to death while caring for her. So, towards the end of her mother's life, she was living with Dee Dee and being, she was basically confined to bed and Dee Dee was taking care of her. Okay. 
Dee Dee's first stepmother, Christy, has been quoted as saying that Dee Dee was starving her and she wasn't giving her anything to eat, with another family member claiming that Dee Dee left her mother dirty and unfed, calling her evil. Most of her family also don't seem to care that she's dead, with her own father, Claude, admitting that he believes that she, quote, got what she deserved, end quote, and that after her cremation, no one wanted Dee Dee's ashes, with one family member being quoted as saying they were going to flush them down the toilet. Holy shit. Which you will sort of understand when we get into what she did to her daughter. Fucking hell, all right. So another seemingly... And I say unsupported because these are rumours that have no evidence to support them but have been told to the press by the family members. So they're not like internet rumours. They're they're unsupported rumours from her family. One of the family members has stated that Dee Dee, for a brief period when she lived with her father and her second stepmother, who Claude is still married to, Laura, that Dee Dee was attempting to poison her with Roundup. So much so that Laura ended up being confined to bed for up to nine months due to the... So if you don't know what Roundup is, I don't know if it's an Australian thing. It's a weed killer, basically. Oh, So it's a poison. Right. And again, I will stress, all these theories have been put forth to the press by the family members. And from what I can see, there's no evidence in the autopsy report, particularly of Dee Dee's mother, that support that she was starved to death. Which, so while we can't find a whole lot about her family, these comments don't really say great things about who she was as a person. (laughs) So in her early life, she gained work as a nurse's aide, which proves to be incredibly helpful later in her life, which we'll get into. And by the time she was 24, she was pregnant with her then husband, Rod Blanchard's child, who was her junior at only 17 which I find super creepy. Wait, she had a child with a 17-year-old. She was 24, he was 17. Oh, and and he was married. she was married? They were married. Wow. Which I find... Very odd. Very odd. Okay, you do you, girl. Yeah. And on the 27th of July, 1991, Gypsy Rose Blanchard was born. So essentially from day one, Dee Dee is overly protective of the baby, and according to Gypsy's father, Rod... By the time she's three months old, Dee Dee is convinced that Gypsy has sleep apnea and continually brings her to the doctor's and emergency room at the hospital to undergo uh, sleep tests and have her sleep monitored with these mystery ailments that no one really seems to ever be able to conclusively diagnose. The main one Dee Dee becomes convinced of, or rather convinces everyone else of, is that Dee Dee Gypsy has an undiagnosed, unspecified chromosomal disorder. By the time Gypsy is around seven, this blows up into sort of a full-blown issue when Gypsy falls off her grandfather's motorcycle and gets a sort of, a, you know, smallish injury on her knee. However, Dee Dee becomes convinced that the injury will need several surgeries to correct, and from this point on, Gypsy is forced to use a walker and later on a wheelchair, despite the fact that she's perfectly healthy and capable of walking on her own. Intense. So it's around second grade, possibly as early as kindergarten, when Gypsy is pulled from public school and made to be homeschooled under the tutelage of her mother, which Dee Dee says is obviously due to Gypsy's extensive health issues. And Gypsy claims she's been quoted as saying that she basically taught herself to read through the books of the Harry Potter series. So after Dee Dee and Rod split... 
and Rod remarries, Dee Dee and Gypsy move in with her father and stepmother, and it's during this time when it's claimed Dee Dee tries to poison her stepmother with Roundup. During their stay, the family also just expressed deep concerns about Dee Dee's treatment of Gypsy, including the fact that Gypsy seems to be able to walk fine on her own despite being confined to a wheelchair. And after this confrontation, in typical Dee Dee moves, which we'll get to know, she just moves out, doesn't she avoids any sort of confrontation, avoids anyone questioning Gypsy's medical issues, and so she moves her and her daughter out to Sladell. So due to Gypsy's many health issues, Dee Dee receives a lot of public assistance, including money to pay for their bills and accommodation in public housing, as well as Rod's child support payments to the tune of $1,200 a month, which he continues to make. By this time, Dee Dee has escalated up to saying that Gypsy has both hearing and vision problems, as well as muscular dystrophy illness, which testing finds no trace of. Mm. Gypsy is also prescribed with anti-seizure medication due to her, quote, frequent seizures, according to Dee Dee. And Gypsy also undergoes several surgeries for various non-existent ailments. Of course. Right. Now, she basically gets away with this for so long because, as I said, she used to be a nurse's aide. So most doctor's clinics don't talk to each other. So whenever a doctor starts to question Gypsy's health, she'll just stop seeing them. As well, being a nurse's aide, she knows exactly the right symptoms to describe to doctors, even allegedly going so far as to force Gypsy to take medication, which will actually mimic the symptoms. Wow. Okay. Interesting. And once Gypsy is old enough to speak for herself and potentially destroy this ruse, Dee Dee instructs her not to speak to the medical staff and only ever speaks on her behalf. She basically starts to tell people as well that... Gypsy is mentally incompetent, that she's disabled, that she can't speak, that she has the intelligence of a six-year-old, all this sort of stuff. So in 2005, the family is moved again after Hurricane Katrina destroys their home, which is very convenient for Dee Dee as she can now claim the hurricane destroyed all of Gypsy's prior medical history, as well as her birth certificate, which would show the real age Gypsy's at this point, as she's also lying and underaging Gypsy by several years. At one point when her father Rod calls her on her 18th birthday, Dee Dee instructs him to lie, saying Gypsy only believes she's 14. So she's like nearly an adult being told she's prepubescent. That's rough. Yeah. So after the hurricane, they move to Missouri and Dee Dee's mistreatment of Gypsy continues, telling people that she has leukemia while secretly shaving Gypsy's head to give the appearance of her going bald from chemotherapy. The tragic story of a single mother of a heavily disabled young girl whose home was destroyed by a hurricane, of course, gets enormous press attention, and gifts from charities such as the Ronald McDonald House, Make-A-Wish Foundation, as well as donations from the community members come pouring in. Gypsy goes to Disneyland, gets backstage passes to concert, and meets Miranda Lambert, and this is all documented in photos yeah. that you can see online. This is all coming back to me now. Yeah, and they also have a house built for them with a jacuzzi mm-hmm. by another charity called Habitat for Humanity. At one point, Dee Dee begins, uh, begins getting Gypsy Botox injections into her saliva glands to control her, quote, drooling, and this leads to eventually having them medically removed altogether. Gypsy claims her mother would often numb her gums prior to doctor's visits, which would then induce the drooling that Dee Dee complained to doctors of. Dude, which what is fucked the up. Fuck. 
This, coupled with the medication for her non-existent seizures, causes her teeth to rot, and eventually they basically all have to be removed. Oh, no. As well, she has tubes surgically implanted into her ears to help control her constant ear infections, which don't exist. So because of her outward appearance, which now matches Dee Dee's story, because Gypsy is tiny, she's about five foot, she's bald, she has these huge owl-like glasses. She has no teeth. She's fed through a nose-feeding tube and has the massive glasses. So it gets to the point where neighbours and friends don't really question her health issues because she outwardly looks exactly like what her mother is saying. So into her mid-twenties, she was basically fed through a feeding tube that she didn't need. Jesus. And she was forced to breathe through like an oxygen tank and all this sort of crazy stuff. So her father attempts to come and visit her several times. However, Dee Dee always finds a reason to cancel the visit at the last minute. However, tells all their friends and neighbors that Rod is a low-life drug addict who never pays child support and never wanted to see his daughter because of her various health issues. Going so far as to say the time they went to the Special Olympics was the Spurg Olympics. Oh, wow. That's even worse that she made that up. Yeah. That's even worse. So it's alleged that Dee Dee was also physically abusive towards Gypsy, always holding her hand around others and squeezing it tightly to the point of physical pain if Gypsy did or said anything out of line. Gypsy also claims that when they are alone, she would often openly hit her with her hand or a coat hanger. Now, there are some doctors who are suspicious of Dee Dee's claims and they do attempt to look into it. However, these attempts never really go anywhere with her managing to basically talk her way out of every situation. So it's around 2001 where Gypsy starts looking to be more independent, frequently attending sci-fi conventions, mainly due to the fact that she can dress up in cosplay and so she can blend in and not look like, you know, the freaky weird board mm-hmm. girl. She does once attempt to run away from her mother, however, is caught in a hotel room with a man that she'd met online. Dee Dee then shows the man Gypsy's faked birth certificate, showing that she's actually way below the age of consent and threatens to call the police. She also threatens Gypsy, allegedly saying she would smash her fingers with a hammer if she ever tried to run away again. Holy shit. Gypsy is also alleged that after this, Dee Dee keeps her leashed and handcuffed to her bed for over two weeks telling Gypsy she's filed to have her declared as mentally incompetent, so if she does ever escape, no one will believe her story anyway. So while her mother sleeps, Gypsy continues to use the internet, where in 2012 she meets Nicholas Godajon via a Christian singles group. Dee Dee continues to try and keep her off the internet, destroying her phones and laptops, but Gypsy continues to defy her mother. So Gypsy and Nicholas eventually meet in real life, staging a faked run-in at a movie theatre. And after this, their bond is even stronger than before and they begin to sort of develop this plan. So of their brief romance, Godajon was quoted as saying, Those were probably the best days of my life. I enjoyed every second of it from the very beginning. I knew we were soulmates. Those five days I was physically with her were the most intense and magical and awe-inspiring days I've ever had. That's nice. It is quite nice 
before you hear what comes next. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. so a few days before June 14th, 2015, Godajon arrives mm-hmm. in Gypsy's hometown while her and her mother are out for medical appointments. After she gets home and Didi goes to sleep, Godajon slips into the house where Gypsy gives him duct tape, gloves, and a knife. While Gypsy hides in a closet and covers her ears, Godajon stabs Didi in the back several times while she sleeps, killing her. They then steal the remaining cash in their home and flee to a nearby hotel, eventually going by bus to Godajon's house, at this stage believing they've gotten away with this crime and they're essentially just ready to live their life together without Gypsy's mother. Yeah, it never happens like that, doll. However, a few days later, after a family friend sees a disturbing Facebook status from Dee Dee and Gypsy's joint account reading, That bitch is dead. People start commenting on it thinking that it's a prank or that the account's been hacked. And then another comment on the status from Dee Dee's account reads, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet innocent daughter. Her scream was so fucking loud. Lol. Uh, uh. Yeah, it's... Whoa. Yeah. So the family friend then attempts to call the house several times and gets no answer. After traveling to the home and seeing Dee Dee's car, which is specially modified to fit Gypsy's wheelchair, is still parked in the driveway, the police are called. A search warrant is obtained and police eventually manage to enter the home to find Dee Dee's body, Gypsy missing and all her medical equipment, which neighbors believe would be essential for her survival, still in the home. The next day, Kim... Blanchard, which same last name but no relation, who was a neighbor, organized a vigil and a GoFundMe account to take care of Dee Dee's funeral expenses and potentially Gypsies, because everyone fears the worst has happened yeah, of to Gypsy course. as well yeah. at this point. It's at this stage one of the neighbors, 23-year-old Aaliyah Woodmancy, comes forward and tells police of the details of Gypsy and Nicholas's secret online relationship, which Gypsy had shared with her. She shows them printouts from conversations her and Gypsy had had through Facebook, which shows Godajon's full name. So from this information, police are able to trace the IP address from the Facebook post on Didi's Facebook account. And on June 15th, Gypsy and Nicholas are arrested at his home in Big Ben. At the time of her arrest, Gypsy believes herself to be 19 when she's actually 23. Jesus. So when everyone hears Gypsy is safe, they are, of course, relieved. However, the bubble bursts shortly after when it's relieved, revealed rather that Gypsy was never sick and her mother, through emotional and physical abuse, had forced her to play along with these fantasies that she had. Please go so far as to urge people not to donate to any of the appeals associated with the family until the full extent of Dee Dee's fraud can be revealed. So in the lead up to the trial, as more and more of the realities of what Dee Dee has done to Gypsy come to light, the sympathy very quickly swings from everyone feeling sympathetic for Dee Dee that she's been murdered to everyone feeling sympathetic and horrified for Gypsy and her treatment. Shortly after this, the county prosecutors announced that they won't even be pursuing the death penalty for Gypsy nor Nicholas, which is legal in Missouri at the time. While legal proceedings are going on in the background and Gypsy is being detained in county jail, she's so underfed by her mother, she actually gains six and a half kilograms despite most prisoners losing weight as yeah, soon as they go they to get jail. In, for sure. She's being fed more in jail than she ever was. Wow. She was fed through a feeding tube up until 23 years old. I've just I've seen the photos too and she looks so young. Yeah. 
like just malnourished. So despite her murder, Gypsy genuinely does appear to have loved her mother. She was quoted once as saying, we are a pair of shoes, never good without the other. Since the crime was committed, she said while she's not sad to be out of her situation, she is definitely sad about the murder of her mother. Godajon's trial was set for November 2018 with Gypsy testifying on the third day and finally in February 2019, Godajon is sentenced to life in prison for first degree murder. On the murder of Dee Dee, Nicholas was interviewed for a show titled Killer Couples. In the show, he shares several insights regarding the murder, stating Gypsy had confided everything her mother had done to her to Godajon and he was quoted as saying, I would have done it again. I might have done it different, but I would have done it again. I couldn't see her suffer anymore. Uh, after a plea deal is offered, Gypsy pleads guilty to second-degree murder and is sentenced to 10 years in prison, and she will be eligible for parole in 2024 at the age of 33. Shit, man. So you have to wonder, after 23 years of being told you have cancer and muscular dystrophy, and a chromosomal disorder, and being fed through a feeding tube, and then the next ten years you spend in prison, yeah. like what? Well, you got to wonder: is are those ten years in prison a fucking luxury compared to a, a childhood with a mother who's abusing the literal shit out of her? Yeah, like chaining her up and breaking her phones, and she can't uh, have any social interactions and. If she tries to escape or have any social interactions, that she'll label her mentally incompetent, and like I know we we try and keep like opinions out as much as we can, but like you gotta fucking admit that yeah. Dee Dee's a cunt. And you see a lot of people argue, well, why didn't she just leave? Bloody blah, blah blah blah, and then it's like you. It's all she knew. But also, she, at this point, she thought she was fucking ill. Yeah, her she's been she quoted no as saying idea. that she genuinely... Well, she knew she could walk. She genuinely thought she had cancer. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so... Like, and also, yeah, you say, oh, you could have run, but you weren't in that fucking situation. But it's also, you've... She's been so reliant on her mother her whole life it's a she wouldn't have had a clue exactly how to be without someone but also throw in stockholm syndrome for that matter yeah you're you're the only interact you love your mother she's quoted as saying she loves her mother like you said this is the only real interaction she's had with the mothers that she knows so it makes sense but also Stockholm Syndrome in the sense of this is like the only person you ever really get to socially interact with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like that. you need, you need she bonds. she probably also had in the back of her mind that, well, she's already said she's going to tell the police I'm mentally incompetent and no one's going to believe me. Exactly. So there's the futility of the whole idea of running away. Like if she does, then her mother's going to do that. That, that's exactly it. Like, if she does run away, her mother's going to tell everyone that she's mentally incompetent and she's going to be within her custody forever. And no one's going to believe her. Mm. She's like, my mother changed me up. They'll be like, cool, all right, whatever. Fuck, yeah, I, it's, that's um, insane, man. 
It's a pretty, it's, and that's like what I was saying where you talk about how some people say, oh, Chris Watts was driven to murder Shanann. But like that doesn't Bitch. make sense. At but all. When you hear, I mean, technically Gypsy didn't murder anyone. Nicholas Godijon no. murdered Dee Dee. But. They're both compliant in the murder. You hear that story and you you don't see... Like, of course that would drive someone to do something Yeah, like it, it's like you said, at the very start of the episode, you, you don't condone it. No, it's not but it makes, justifiable, but it makes sense. When you hear the entire context of the story, you go, how would you see this ending up any other way? Yeah. Like, but, yeah, all these... Neighbours and doctors just kind of blindly believed what she said. Yeah, and it's a it's a difficult situation because this was all during like the 2000s and 2010s, I'm assuming, I think you said. Because um, like she was charged a little bit. The murder occurred in 2015. Yeah, so this is all happening in the early 2000s and 2010s where like... We still live in a world of perplexing ideas on child protection and, you know, maternal instincts and homes with, with you know, children growing up and domestic issues and still a weird. We 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 kind of like only really recently had this turning point of like, you know, we're actively making a change in terms of we can help children yeah. in hard situations and it's, I guess in in. Situate times like these, and also I think states like these, where there's like such a huge influx of people, it's hard to really like protect everybody. Mm. But yeah, yeah it's, sure. it's such a sad story, and you know, I, she she's serving a time for her part in it, and uh, so is um, so is Nicholas. Nicholas, that's it. Um serving his time for I think a, a lot along the sentence and once she gets out I don't think she's a, a a danger to society I don't think once she gets released she's gonna go off and fucking kill I don't kill think either again. of them are necessarily a danger to society no I think he if I think at the very worst you could label him is someone with a hero complex that he felt like he needed to save yeah that's her. a good way of that's a good I think way that's at it. the very worst you could label him that like, yeah, he yeah. took a life, and that's fucking horrible. Like, you should never realistically, in a situation like that, take someone's life. But in his mind, like, what's the alternative? That was amazing. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, just, I just tried to pick the kitten up, and she just, like, I don't know. She, I don't know Bunny what hopped. just happened. Like, she just suicide jumped away <laughs> from my love and just... Like axed herself on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Amazing. Yeah, and I, she's that's a runaway. It's a very interesting case. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's one that definitely sparks controversy. Yeah, I think if you were to label them as evil in the same category as Dee Dee, I think it's a bit of a naive thought process, and I don't want to step on anyone's toes because we all have subjective opinions and. You know, we all raised in different households and we're all different people. And that's fine. But I think definitely don't formulate an opinion based on personal attributes. Like, look at it realistically and think, 
there's a lot more to this than just a person yeah. killed someone. Because for me, it's it's these cases are interesting because, as I've said, like murder is never justifiable. But it's really interesting where you have these cases where it's a lot more in terms of motive. Yeah. It's a lot more like, yeah, no, I I see that. I see why you wanted to murder her. Even I like, get it. Even like Elmer Wayne Henley and um and uh the Candyman murders. Mm. Where you kind of think like Elmer Wayne Henley was an accessory and 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 tricked a lot of boys into coming in and that's definitely inexcusable, but he's like almost a necessary evil and that he killed Coral, Dean Coral. Yeah. And potentially saved other people. Yeah, well, is, I guess you'd never it's know. It's a different, a completely different situation. Yeah. But you're like, you know, it's such a weird thing where you go, the, the murder is almost not as evil as... The person it, that was murdered. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I get what you mean. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. a, it's a very weird thing where you're like, yes, Elmer Wayne Henley was a bad person in the fact that he treated people he he manipulated people and led to their deaths but he also killed someone who actually killed those people so yeah, like it's, it's all, um, weird we're very complex creatures us human beings yeah that, that, i think so that's, we like to think anyway that's what draws us to these cases i think these cases today are some of the most interesting cases that yeah. we've ever covered because the, the psychology the, behind the, it the the the, the whole pretense in the thought process of why they did it who they are the relationships it's all in- interesting as as, as yeah. anything yeah there were two very um two very different ones for very different reasons yeah but also similar for similar reasons mm. you know it's funny that nothing's can be so different yet so similar yeah well, if you are someone who just likes to come on by for the stories and then head on off Thanks for joining in. Yeah, we'll see you next week, hopefully. We'll see you next Monday, maybe. I'm assuming people who don't tune in for the banter at the end also don't tune in for Friday's episode. So I'm just going to say, see you Monday. Yeah, for the mini-sodes. For the mini-sode. But uh, if you're here for the banter, welcome. Welcome to the end of the episode. Welcome. Welcome to the end of the episode. Yeah. Uh, A quick shout out to one of our lovely listeners specifically requested that we give a little shout out to her son Atreyu who gets all the awards for like the coolest name ever yeah good on you how do you you, uh i'm not gonna ask you how to spell it because i think it's a t r e y u i think that's cool from a fellow a unique name person, me being Tama. Uh, all props to you, son. But I just cool name. Uh, it was one of my never-ending story. Was one of my favorite movies growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. No matter how emotionally scarring Artax dying <laughs> yeah. was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I still I'm 28. I still can't watch that scene. No, I have to fast it has to. Through. Yeah, exactly. What a weird. Do you ever think that? Do you ever look back to all the movies and television shows that we watched as children, and you're like, no wonder our generation turned out so fucked up. Like yeah. we watched the weirdest things. Like for any Australian listeners who used to watch Around the Twist, which was an Australian television show about this family that lived in a lighthouse and they'd have different adventures every episode, and there was literally 
an episode where one of the kids like rose to the leaderboard of the school swimming team because a fish lived in his penis and spun his dick around so fast that he swam quickly because his dick was like a propeller. Like, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. There was another one where there was a literal pissing contest. Like, in the year, like, like, yeah, exactly. Those are the things that we grew up watching, like that and like giant turtle mountains and horses being sucked into the, quote, sadness. <laughs> and we wonder why we all grew up fucking anxious little depressed mole rats. Yeah, like, every, every studio Ghibli movie where it's like there's a little, you know, sad incantation. It has a happy ending at the end, but there's all these weird little... Like, we Journeys. recently discovered Stan, which I don't know if that's a streaming service in any other countries, but it's, it's an Australian streaming service, not, and they yeah. have Cartoon Network shows. They have Courage the Cowardly Dog. We're being nostalgic and re-watching cartoons, because yeah. that's what you do when you're an adult. You drink wine and watch cartoons. And I was just watching it, and I was like, this is the strangest <laughs> thing ever. Yeah, it's it's almost like a nihilistic show in like the setting of it like they're in this weird farm in the middle of like a desert well it's literally called nowhere yeah the place it's they leave is called so nowhere. despairing yeah it's like yeah so like weird nihilistic dogs with anxiety courage the cowardly dog most definitely had generalized anxiety disorder yeah um anger issues with um husband I forget what his name uh, is Eustace? Eustace yeah and then and um I think like what is it what would I don't know what the wife would have she yeah. was just a lovely little just a good person lady but uh and then between that and watching round the twist with uh literal fish willies yeah and we wonder why we turned out the way we did yeah we're a weird bunch and you know boomers want to like look at us as you know oh, we love snowflakes no, and we love the boomers all that, most but, of them you know we're just a we're weird it's kids it's not our fault yeah you guys made the shows all have right? you watched fucking, have you seen teletubbies yeah you guys wonder- greenlit the fucking teletubbies all right they were definitely teletubbies were definitely having weird sex oh, parties when the cameras were off teletubbies were like fucking uh army enlistment <laughs> like subconscious it was like it was the yeah, weirdest shit yeah, but like flashes of the sun and then flashes of them like on the on the ground like and then like the fucking megaphone the <laughs> like what in the yeah, fuck was that that ends the weird did you ever watch the, baby the weird no, the we oh yeah, the baby some. Yeah. No, did you ever watch the again? I don't know if sorry if for our American listeners these are all going over your head. There was a weird, I don't know what it was called. It was one of those like super short like sixty second shows that they'd show between the main shows, and it was like fruit salad, and they'd make that weird like opera sound, and then the fruit it was like a stop motion. And the fruit would like make weird faces. Oh, yeah, like one of those like um, and it would have that ABC opera kids sound. Was like super free. <laughs> Do you remember that? It, it sounds familiar. I know. But I know one of my friends, Briny, is listening to. Yeah, so I know what she knows. What's up? She knows what's up. 
There's so many of those weird and things. Like, you there was go, this other weird cartoon fuck? where it, I think it was called Freaky Stories, and you'd be like, "This is the story that a friend of a friend of a friend told my friend." And it was like they'd have weird, like there was one story where they cut open a girl's head and like millions of spiders yeah. came out. Or fucking goosebumps. Oh my god, goosebumps. Yeah. <sighs> the, even the books of goosebumps. Hocus Pocus. To... Hocus Pocus used to fucking terrify me growing up with the, I can't remember his name now, but the, like the zombie guy that would mm. come out. He scared the absolute shit out of me as a child. Yeah, this, the, it's. No wonder we turned out to the the weird, freaky, crime-loving millennials we are. We're just trying to make sense of this weird, yeah. strange world. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. That was a weird rant about children's television no, shows. No, I kind of liked it. I, th- I thought it was fun. It's a little trip down every lane. But on... yeah, I'll never get over the fact that how a young man with a fish in his dick managed to make it on primetime television, I will never know. Well, it was an Australian show, so we didn't have much to compete with. That's true. That's, I mean, our, our only shows that have been consistently running for like 30 plus years are Home and Away and Neighbours, and neighbors which if you are American or uh, any other country aside from Australia, look up on YouTube any scene ever of neighbors and home away, and you know it's oh, it's just like what we're talking about. It's just like it's, it's, it's the Australian days of bold our lives and the beautiful, yeah. or bold and the beautiful. Art but... attack, art attack was oh, a yeah. great fucking show. Toasted God, TV. I loved that. But art that attack was probably more of a guy's thing. Art attack gave me really, really inflated ideas of what I could achieve as a six-year-old with paper mache. Uh really, it just. It just led to crippling self-esteem issues because <laughs> none of the shit I made ever looked like Neil Buchanan's. Yeah, but also he was like a twenty-year-old man. Yeah, but why the, are you stage? making like a three-story amazing haunted castle out of toilet paper rolls and just expecting me, a six-year-old, yeah. to be able to replicate that? He's like, oh, you're six years old. And you're you have- just setting me up for failure, <laughs> Neil. What your, are you your, doing? Your, frontal, your, your cortex hasn't fully developed yet. Yeah, that's right. I just bought a three-story toilet paper. Yeah, so house, me in my losers. like stunted child lizard brain, I'm like, well, if I can't do that, I must just be a failure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. I'm already type A enough without that <laughs> shit a. in my life. Yeah, I'm already a red lolly kid. Without all that I wasn't stuff. allowed to have red lollies. Yeah, it's semi peeing off the walls. It actually, is a thing. Yeah, it's preserve. It's preservative. Preservative two hundred two. Yeah. I was never allowed to Crazy. have. Crazy. Mm. Fun facts about Laura. Yeah. Was never allowed two hundred two. Which that was another is in- weird thing about like growing up as a nineties, early two thousands kid was like the the lollies that we had growing up. Remember the sticks, like the 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 fake cigarettes. They called like butts yeah. or something like that, or sticks. You had like the little. Sticks things? that you pretend were cigarettes. cigarettes. But they came in a pack that looked like cigarettes. Oh, I don't remember that. I remember yeah. pretending that Whiz Fizz was cocaine, even though I didn't really know what cocaine. I just thought it was funny yeah. to like pretend to be like... <sighs> yeah. <sighs> like, <laughs> Thank you for doing that directly in the mic as well. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah. It's- I remember at some point there was a lot of toys where you could create zombie jellies and you would eat the brains Ooh, of different. I don't creep- remember that. No, there was another one where you would. There's like a. It's like a 
you know how they had like easy bake ovens it was like that never had an easy bake oven it was like that but it was like a press for gummies and you could make gummies with like glucose and things like that and with like jelly inside and you would eat like bugs like cockroaches and everything oh i vaguely remember that but don't think i ever did it i do oh, remember my mate had one i do remember weeing in my baby born's potty once just to see what it was like and my mum got really mad at me, <laughs> understandably. How old were you? Uh, I'm trying to think. If you say anything other than no. less than 10. Oh, it was way less than 10. Okay, I, it, I'm trying to think. I would have been like, You're like I'm tw- I was 12 years old. I'd be <laughs> this like- was last week, mate. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, no, I think I would have been like six. But what do you expect with the fucking potty? You know what I, I mean? Know. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. I just... Do they have a catchment or do they just go onto the floor? No, it's like an actual potty, but right. it's a potty made for... Your doll. ...the wee that comes oh, out of a baby born. What the fuck was up with that as well? The baby born's actually yeah, urinating? Yeah, and eventually it would not all come out, so she'd get like fucking mould growing up the tract through the middle of it. Disgusting. Oh, gross. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah, and not a great biological lesson. No, the did, hey anatomy. kids, did you know you pour liquid in the top, it comes straight out the bottom. <laughs> That's confusing. <laughs> well, I can't... Hey kids, did you know it's actually one continuous tract through you? I cannot believe that was ever a thing. Like, like on one level it's like... <laughs> it's like piss tra- your way to anorexia. But you're training like... Young females yeah, to know. become like mothers, and you're like, okay, this is fucking. I know weird. gender stereotypes, really right? I did weird. love my baby born though. But was that because you were raised to every kid around I don't you know. had one? Because or... I also liked doing very boyish things. Yeah. But I don't know. Like masturbating. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I used to do. You know, when you had a really long day at kindergarten, yeah, just you'd come home from off. wank. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mum, they made us uh, go all the way to K yeah. in the alphabet today. Called the old Charlie it's Sheen. Fucking rough. Ew. <clears throat> this just went to a weird place. Yeah, it always does. <gasps> no. Do you remember the ultimate fucked up toy? Do you remember Furbies? Did oh, you ever have a fucking yeah. Furby? I after don't watching, know. After watching Gremlins? It's I like... don't know if they had Furbies in America. They were I think they did. so weird. And you had to do like fucking magic tricks to get them to shut up. They'd be like, oh, you have to flip them upside down three yeah. times and then turn them towards the sun and then like put some glitter on its head and like stick a finger up its butt and it'll go to sleep. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm eight. Yeah. <laughs> I barely know how to do a Where's puzzle. Where's the off switch? <laughs> and so then you'd get sick of it. And so you just like, st- I used to stuff it in my toy box with just as many blankets on top of it. And you'd still hear it be like, yeah. I was legitimately terrified that thing was going to, like, come to life and murder me. Yeah, even, like, our, our brains when we were younger, it was just messed up. Like, I had a I had a fire truck and, like, a fireman toy that... I think my mum was telling me about the story of me stacking my toys outside my house in the hallway. Because I would... Sometimes when I would be going to bed and your eyes kind of get acclimatized to the darkness, you'd see things around your room. And I would look at my toys and your young, dumb brain is picturing them moving. Oh, I still do that with the dressing gown hanging on the yeah. back of our bathroom door. I it's a real thing. I think it's, it's a fucking person. It your brain plays tricks on you. I used to have my toys and used to stack my toys outside the 
my room the hallway so mum would wake up in the morning and there'd be a fucking row of like Hercules and Batista and shit just all in the fucking hallway cute yeah fun fact we also had very dangerous toys you pro- you wouldn't have had this one because it was a girl's toy but I don't know if you ever saw them they were like these fairies that had these fucking spin hard plastic wings yeah. and they'd sit on this thing and you pull the drawstring and the thing would spin really fast around and like take off but mm-hmm. then would like come crashing to the ground and hit you in the head yeah my or, sister like, had one you'd poke yourself in the eye with the fucking spinning blades of death. Yeah, it's terrifying. My sister had one and I think she like broke it the second day she had it. Yeah, that sounds it, like you, you use it indoors, but then if you use it outdoors, it also lands in plants and shit and yeah. slams hard. Did you go through a yo-yo phase? Oh, yeah, yeah. Every, dude, every like kid. I just went through a yo-yo, yo-yo phase where I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to do this for a living. I'm going to yeah. flip tricks and I all I could do was like the tricks. the thing where you made like a circle and it oh, went yeah. in. That was the only thing I could do. Yeah, I had a book of like the different things you could do. I, I think we actually, it was a huge trend that was like yeah, cause didn't a they, class we did. Is this did like it. the Mandela effect? Like, does anyone else remember? Like, they had weird... There was two. There was a yo-yo one and a skipping rope one where they'd like come to your school and do like really cool skipping tricks or yeah. yo-yo tricks and convince you that you too as an eight-year-old can do these tricks. <laughs> Buy this $40 yo-yo. You'd be like, cool, yeah. man. Great. Awesome. Yeah. we. I think we actually, we did skipping ropes for like a PE thing in my uh, elementary school. Healthy Harold would also be something that our American yeah. listeners would have no idea what it was. So, just for your reference to our lovely American listeners, us children here in, well, I'm assuming, I don't know if they came to private schools, but us children here in pu- public schools, in primary, we would learn our basic biology and sexual ed by being taken into a dark van in the middle of the day, and usually a middle-aged man would have a giraffe puppet that was Healthy Harold, and Healthy Harold would teach you about sex ed. But it was just very strange being taken into a dark van in the middle of the day mm. and, and being a, a like, hey, telling kids, you about here's a giraffe, vaginal a sweating. non-native American... What? Non-native Australian animal. <laughs> native Australian animal. Like, why was it a giraffe? Why was it not a koala or like a platypus or something? I don't know. I have no idea. It was very Is it weird. just a giraffe because they needed, like, the neck length to yeah, get the arm? Yeah, I think arm? that would have been probably why. I'd imagine. I don't my, know. my grandma used to do Healthy Harold. Oh, really? Yeah, I could ask her. In her <laughs> thick Polish accent? No, no, my not my, not that grandma. My, oh, your my other grandma. My New Zealander grandmother. That would be it's hilarious, also New Zealand though, if it was your grandma with the thick the Polish, Polish accent. accent. Okay, so what we do is we put the penis... <laughs> When it is erect, into the wet vagina. Now, wet vagina is from the sweating. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. I could do a whole fucking hour I know you could, which is why I'm telling you to stop. Also, I feel like, I know we talk, we say this every episode, but I actually feel like this episode has gone on forever. So, apologies for our long-ass rant about children's television show and health education in Australia. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, if you'd like to hear more of it, I'm sure we'll go into it in our, uh, our Friday show. Maybe I'll share some photos on our Instagram story of all the things we've talked about. Yeah, why not? 
So if you'd like to see that, you can follow us on the BSC podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Indeed. If you want to shoot us through an email, our email is bestservedcoldpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to get a little love letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, please share the episode, share the love, give us a review on iTunes. It genuinely helps. I know everyone says that, but it actually does. It helps really us does. go up the charts and up the other thing. <laughs> the the charts and the, the things other... that aren't charts. <laughs> the charts and the non-charts. <laughs> it helps with both. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Tune mm. in on Friday for our Shake or Not Cert after party where we'll talk a bit more about whatever the fuck we want to. Yeah. Is that? That's great. And also email us any <laughs> submissions. Yeah. You, any submissions you have for uh, Six Degrees yeah. of Separations. Or if you have a case you'd like us to cover, feel free to send that through and we'll check him out. Yeah. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on Friday. Bye. Bye. Bye.